Hey everyone, welcome to the NPFCC Messages podcast. In our series, God and Sexuality, we're looking at God's heart for His design, how God is the creator of our sexuality, and how His design for it is beautiful and good. We know this is a sensitive topic in our culture today, and it's broader than we can cover in just four messages. So we created a resource page you can check out at npfcc.org slash godandsexuality. This webpage has links to our recommended reading list, as well as a place for you to submit questions that we'll discuss on April 23rd and May 7th after the service. But thanks again for tuning in to this message, and we're praying for you as you absorb it. You know, if, if, you're, um, if you're with us this week, um, it, it's great to see all of you. Even, uh, nice to have those of you who are with us online. Um, if you're here uh, and this is your first Sunday with us, we're in week two uh, of a sermon series on God and sexuality. So like we said last week, you picked a doozy of a time to join us. Um, but it's something that, that, that we need to talk about. Um, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to that uh, message as well. Um, there's a whole page full of resources that we'll talk about as well. And last week, um, last week we talked about why we need a series like this. And I, I, I just want to start by thanking many of you. You know, I, I, I have to be honest. I, I went home after last week and I braced myself, right? Braced myself for all the emails that I might get. And, and, and um, I just want to let you know that I, I really appreciate so many of you who sent encouraging emails, because uh, it, isn't, it isn't easy. I, I, I'm pretty sure none of you wants to trade spots with me again uh, today, right? Um, you will. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that they can handle that, Kat, so I just. <laughs> oh. But I do want to thank all of you. Um, uh, and, and many of you who expressed great appreciation just for the fact that we're going there, that we're having this conversation, that we're tackling the subject um, and that we all agreed is, is much needed, especially given where our world is today and the culture that we live in. And one of the main purposes of this series is really um, to start the conversation. Uh, in, in just four weeks, we, we, I'm not going to answer every question. In fact, I am keenly aware that there are going to be a lot of your questions that I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to answer. There's some of you who maybe even came this morning going, okay, I hope he talks about like my, you know, my topic, my thing, whatever. And I may not, I may. Um, and, and, and I just, the whole idea of this is to start the conversation. That's why we're giving opportunities at different times to, to join in in the dialogue and have the conversation at a deeper level because we realize that this topic is multifaceted, there's so much going on, there's so many questions, and we want there to be time for those conversations because we believe that this is why it's so important to live in community and how we wrestle together with these things and with God's word so that we can apply them to our lives. Um, m- one of the main things that we, we wanna do um, is, is start to understand what God's word says and how we apply it, how we understand it, um, as it interfaces with all the crazy things going on in our culture. But what we want most of all is to make sure that church, right, that this community of believers, that this is a place where we can have safe conversations about hard stuff. Uh, Because like we said last week, for so long, 
I think the church has just avoided so many of these conversations. Um, and because of that, um, we have had people who, um, who, who look at us and think, oh, we just think that, that, that sex is dirty, that we don't talk about it, um, that, that we just condemn the rest of the world and things like that. And so we, we want this to be a very safe place where we can have those conversations. Um, so, um, so to that end, following the service today, as, as you heard, we'll, we'll be having a discussion time. Uh, let, let me clarify this. It's not just a Q&A, because you aren't going to ask questions and I'm not going to just answer, okay? So I don't have all the answers, right? I've got a book, right, my Bible that, that, that I believe does, but um, we're going to reason together, because more than anything, I, I, I want you to learn to be disciples, followers of Jesus in the process, so that you can continue to do this work, not just hear it from here, um, but, but that you can have this ongoing work where you're trying to follow Jesus and walk in his way. And so um, one of the things that you can do, even during the service today, um, is if you have a question on this topic of God and sexuality uh, that you would like us to address, uh, you can go to our resource page. Just go to mpfcc.org um, backslash God and sexuality, all one word, all lowercase, and, and there's a form on there where you can submit um, a question. And that'll help us facilitate the, the discussion time uh, later. Um, today, you know, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So my prayer this whole week has been that I'm going to follow Jesus and that, that we're going to speak um, with grace and truth today. Today, um, I'll, I'll tell you, today we're going to lean a little heavy on the truth side, um, just, just so that you're aware of that. Um, and you'll have to come back uh, over the next couple of weeks to, to kind of hear the workings out of all of this. But, um, but today we're going to just dive in uh, pretty deep. Um, and to say the least, there's a lot of confusion and division and frustration over the topic of sexuality in, in our culture today. We all agree? Yeah. And, and it's not only what's happening out there in the secular world. It's also what's happening inside the church. There's a lot of disagreement and, and, and a lot of frustration even inside church. And, and it's not even just, you know, I mean, even in marriage. Some of the people, the most frustrated people in terms of sexuality I know are married people. We, we've held up this thing and said, oh, if we just get married, then it's all going to be good. And well, you know, Disney's told us forever you'll live happily ever after. Right? And, and I can tell you what, there's a couch in my office that can tell you that that's not always the case, right? There's a place where I have lots of conversations with people and, and we talk about the issues facing um, their marriage and there's, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of things because I think we struggle to understand God's true plan for sexuality. What I want you to do this morning is think of, think of sexuality um, as a 5,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Okay, and everyone's trying to figure out how it all goes together, right? The problem is the people outside the church, right? The people outside of the church, they're, they're looking at the wrong picture on the front of the box. They, 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 their puzzle came just all poured out there and, and they don't have the, the picture on the, on the cover of the box. And so they're running around even oftentimes drawing their own picture of what they want the puzzle to look like. And then they're trying to fit all the pieces together to try to like fit into that, 
right? But it's all about how they feel they want it to look and how they've heard it should be and all these other things that are trying to create their own picture and then they're trying to cram all the pieces into there. Now the people inside the church, it's kind of like, for us, it, it feels like sometimes somebody hid the cover to the box and then we pull it out every once in a while and we show it to you real quick and then we put it away. Or, or the fact that um, we show you lots of pictures and say, this isn't what it's supposed to look like, right? So just know that this isn't what you're supposed to do. But very rarely do we in the church really help people get a clear picture. One thing is for certain, putting the puzzle together right, it, it almost, it's almost impossible to do that without the right picture as a reference point. Everybody know what I'm saying, talking about, right? You put a, together a puzzle. So last week we talked about how in a world clamoring for answers, the church has been silent. And the silence has caused many to separate their sexuality from their spirituality. Or to think that the church doesn't talk about sex, again like I said, because it's dirty. Or that we want to hold back from people. Um, Or that God wants to hold something away from us. Our culture's view of sexuality is centered around personal feelings, personal desire, personal pleasure, personal fulfillment. Notice that it's personal, right? It's all about what I want and what I think. Instead of understanding sexuality as a gift created by God for our blessing and for God's glory, our culture tells us that sex is um, morally neutral and our greatest good is to satisfy our own needs. That no one, including God, should tell you how you are supposed to be. That's the wrong picture. But that's the picture that they're working from. This mindset causes people to approach sexuality with with what I believe is a consumer mindset. Just like everything else in our world. It's a consumer mindset. I'm looking for what I want, what I need, and what will satisfy my deepest desires. And then when that gets old... I'll look for something new. And this shouldn't even surprise us for people who don't know the truth of the gospel because this is the picture that they've drawn for themselves on the box, right? And so that's just what they're going for. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, God through his word, I believe, gives us a very clear picture of his design for sexuality and how we should follow that. So, Um, Last week, we introduced the idea of sexual discipleship, the idea that in every area of our lives, including our sexuality, we should submit those things to God under his authority. We we talked about a key verse that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18, 18 to 20, that tells us, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And then, listen to this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Then here was the, 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 this really important verse that says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In a world that's saying, hey, it's all about what I want, it's all about, you know, the picture that I want to draw, it's all about my feelings and stuff, God says, you are not your own. 
And, and we're, again, we'll dive into how that works itself out again more next, in the next couple of weeks. But I love what Sam Alberry says. Sam Alberry is a pastor in England. He's a pastor. He, he wrote this great little book um, called Is God Anti-Gay? Yeah, and we'll go to that topic a little bit later today, okay? Uh, but, but here's the thing. He, and, and he's a pastor who lives with same-sex attraction. But, but he's learned how to put that under the authority of God. And here's what he says, and I love what he says. He says, being a Christian means that I believe what I believe about sexuality because I believe what I believe about Jesus. I follow him, which means I follow what he teaches about this part of life. I just think that's, that's such a powerful quote. Because what he's saying is, is hey, I, I don't align myself these ways because I want to. I don't follow the things that I just want to do. But I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And because I believe in Jesus, I believe what he says about the topic. And so I live following him by living out what Jesus says. Before we can follow Jesus in the area of sexuality, we need to have a clear picture of God's design for sexuality. God has a lot to say about sexuality. Uh, it's not always easy things to hear. But, but things that will help us experience wholeness, intimacy, pleasure, and the best that God has to offer. He designed this for us to experience at his blessing. So today we're going to take a, a look upward. Remember last week was like, okay, why are we doing this? This week is upward. We're going to take a look at what God has to say. Next week we'll look inward, like, okay, now that we know what God has to say, what, what does this mean for me? And then the last week we'll talk about outward. How, how, what does that mean for how we relate with the rest of the world? So that's kind of the outline of, of what we're doing. So today we take a deep dive into some of the Bible's teaching. Some of the Bible's teaching. I mean, I, I mean it'd take us weeks. It'd take a whole class to get through all of this. But some well-selected passages, um, I may or may not pick the ones that you like. So, um, but here's God's design for human sexuality is kind of where we're, where we're going today. Uh, as we shared last week, God's design for sexuality is built into the creation from Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus reinforces this teaching when he's talking in Matthew 19. In Matthew chapter 19, he says this, starting in verse 3, it says, Some of the Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, did you notice these Pharisees, they come to test Jesus, right? They're, they're, they're trying to like poke at Jesus, to get him to say you know, something wrong, or to, to foul him up, or to catch him in something, right? And, and I believe we live in a world today that is very antagonistic towards the gospel, and so people are always at, people, when they find out you're a pastor, man, they ask you all kinds of crazy questions. And oftentimes people, especially in the area of sexuality, they're just poking, right? Like trying to get me to say this or that or whatever, to try to catch me in a thing, and then, you know, and, and it just gets, to be quite honest, it gets frustrating. But, um, so that's what these guys are up to with Jesus. Obviously, they don't know that they have totally met their match, right? And Jesus just, just whoops on these guys all the time. Um, but this kind of thing still happens today, right? Um, because there, people are looking for the, the, uh, an excuse to live the way they want to live. Then Matthew, then the next verse, verse four, it says, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that the beginning, the creator made them male and female. 
Okay, so Jesus refers back to Genesis 127. He reaffirms that God created mankind as sexual beings. He made them male and female. This is just a, a flat statement by Jesus. He made them male and female. This was God's design. While maleness and femaleness are things that we certainly interpret and lend cultural expression to, they are not something that we invent for ourselves. This is how God created us. And if we're going to be people who trust God and follow him, then we have to accept that that is what God created. Now, I know there are some people who ask, because I've had these questions, some people may ask, well, what about things like people who are born intersex? And some of you are like, what in the world is that, right? So, um, and this often becomes part of of an argument or or things to, to try to see where there might be exceptions to God's rules. Here's what I believe. Intersex people are people who are born with um, uh, genitalia or reproductive organs or chromosomes that don't match the typical male or female sex classifications that most of us understand, right? Um, most estimates that I have found say that there's about 1% of the people who are born with some level of intersex development. And this could be anything from not fully formed genitalia to extra chromosomes and things like that. As I've studied this, okay, as I've kind of looked at it, um, my belief is this. I, I, I believe that, um, that this is, in, is an exception and that it should be treated that way. Special care should be taken, I believe, to affirm um, people um, that, are, that have this um, and that I believe that these are people who still need to be affirmed as created by God, created in his image. We'll have to take special care as they navigate their sexuality. But I don't believe, this is what I don't believe, I don't believe it's a third sex. There's not a Z chromosome, there's not totally unique reproductive organs or genitals, it's just different, and in regard to sex, God's design is still Maleness and femaleness. That's, that's what I, the conclusion that I've come to after kind of looking through all this. And then Sam Alberry, who I mentioned earlier, he states it this way. He says, Jesus then goes on and he demonstrates that sexual difference, which was created by God, is the reason that we even have marriage. In, in the next verses in Matthew 19, starting in verse 5, it says, And he said, For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So he says they've created male and female, and he says for this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, because God created male and female, God created marriage to unite them as one flesh. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't mean men and women must get married. Jesus was single, and he was completely complete. We'll talk about that later. But marriage would not exist if we didn't have the differences of male and female. This idea of one flesh is from the Hebrew word ihad. It doesn't just mean a number, like when we say, okay, they become, the two become one. It doesn't mean like the number one. It denotes unity, uh, the unity physically, 
or sexually, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. And this only happens with God's help. It says what God has joined together, okay, let no man separate. See, the other place that this word ihad is found is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? The complete unity of the Godhead. And in marriage, marriage is then stamped with a unity that is only found in and from God. A place where we can experience the kind of intimacy that is central to who God is. And Jesus says, God does the joining and we're not supposed to mess with God's design. God's word in Genesis concerning his created design um, for sex um, is reinforced by Jesus' teaching that sex is a good gift that God is given, but exclusively for marriage, and marriage between a man and a woman. Julie Slattery, who I mentioned last week and who kind of coined that phrase, sexual discipleship, she, she says this in her book, Rethinking Sexuality, God created us as sexual beings so that we could experience oneness. By his design, men and women's bodies fit together in a vulnerable, pleasurable, and powerful act that creates oneness. Thank you. Now, because God's gift of sexuality is so powerful, okay, he created boundaries for us to protect it. it you, you remember last week we talked about this a little bit, that when God first created um, mankind, and uh, he created Adam and Eve, put him in the garden, said, here's the, your one rule, don't eat from that tree, right? And then Satan enters the picture, and Satan tries to convince Eve, she, she starts to get, he gets her to question, like, God's authority and, and God's law, right? He, he just says, hey, did God really say? Did God really say this? And I believe that the, the devil is continuing to do that. He's just all the time going, did God really say that this is his design for sexuality? Did God really say this is the way it's supposed to work? And then the, the devil says, you know, it's almost like the devil's saying, God's trying to keep something from you. He says, because God knows that when you eat this, that you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. And, and, and let me guarantee you that I, I don't believe in God's word. When God tells us don't do something, he is not trying to keep something good from you. He is trying to protect you from the dangers that happen when we take powerful things that God has created and we try to use them in ways that God never intended. And so God has our good in mind. And, and so God creates these guidelines for sexuality. Now, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament in our Bible, our Bible shares specific commands and teachings about sexuality to help us not misuse our sexuality, but to experience the fullness of its blessings. So, again, like I said, um, the devil continues to try to get us to mess this up. So God begins, as God starts to give laws to his people, remember, it's, it's amazing, started out, God had one rule, don't eat from that tree right? And, and then we couldn't handle that one, so God had to make more rules. So, and then he, then he went to 10, right? And, and then after that, the, the 10, you know, there's more than 10, there's 369 or something like that, you know, in the Old Testament. And so there's all these laws that God kept trying to create um, to help us understand. 
But so in the Ten Commandments, it's, it, he starts out and he says, hey, um, in Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. It, it's really kind of one of the first laws that God shares, one of the first guidelines that God shares about how to protect sexuality, okay? Because remember, God says, hey, sexuality is to be experienced in this covenant of marriage. And so he says, hey, adultery... Adultery will combat against what I've set up, right? Adultery will ruin the design that I have. So he's, you know, he, he doesn't say, I don't want you to commit adultery because, you know, um, you know, I don't want you just running around having multiple relationships. He says, no, it will wreck what I've already set up for you, which is good. So don't commit adultery. And there's so many times in the Old Testament that that command is repeated. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. God keeps reminding the people of that. Um, then he goes on, a next one, which, which you know, we look at and go, wow, you know, is, is sex with animals, right? And, and, and you're like, really, that's in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, it's in there, right? In Exodus 22, 19, it says, anyone who has sexual relations with an animal is to be put to death. That's, that's how serious God took that, right? And we have, in the, in the world here, I mean, it's obvious that that law was made for a reason, right? I mean, pr predominantly because there were practices in other religions, different kinds of strange worship that were going on of false gods that, that you know, people were doing this kind of thing. And, and you would think, like, hey, okay, well, we don't have to talk about that anymore. But in reality... That's still a thing in other parts of the world. But don't always sit there and think, oh, that just happened somewhere else, right? People still need to hear that any warped idea of how to handle our sexuality goes against God's design for us. And so God says, look, that, that will mess you up, okay? And it's, it doesn't fulfill what God's design is for us. The next one is incest. In Leviticus 18, 6, to, 6 and 17, there's a bunch of places where, uh, where God says, hey, that incest is wrong. It is something that destroys relationships. He says, no one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. And he says, I am the Lord, right? That's kind of God's because I said so. It's like, hey, incest. And, and, then, and then he goes on and he talks about homosexuality. Now, I, I know that this is one that is a heightened awareness for most of you. This is the one where the bells and whistles go off and you go, yeah, yeah, I want you to talk about that. I think given our current, our current cultural climate, we do want to talk about this um, a bit because there's a lot of confusion, a lot of things like that. Um, and I hope that you, as you're talking with people, that you educate yourselves about all of this. It's not just something where you just go, you know, well, I think I heard this or I got this one verse over here and I'm just gonna keep doing that. Like we need to educate ourselves into what the Bible actually says so we can speak intelligently about it with people, okay? And that we don't use the Bible to pound people over the head, right? But we need to have these conversations with truth and grace. So um, many people, when we talk about uh, homosexuality, they immediately point to the story uh, of Sodom in Genesis 19, um, where God sent two of his angels, they look like men, they go into the city, and um, they're, they're going there to check the city out to see if they're going to destroy it. 
If you remember, God was talking to Abraham, and Abraham says, hey, if I can find 50 people, uh, will you not destroy it? God's all, yeah. He goes, what about 40? You know, he works it all the way down to 10. He goes, if I can find 10 righteous people, um, will you not destroy the city? God said, yeah, if you can find 10. And I'm like, man, like, you know, what, one of the things that, on a side note that it tells me is this, is um, the importance of living righteously is you just may save your city, Right? If, we can, if, if there's just 10 people left, then God's going, okay, I'm going to spare the place. Um, but that doesn't happen. And so what happens um, in Genesis 19, verse 4 and 5, um, it says this, before they had all gone to bed, because the, the, you can go home and read the story for yourself, but it says, before they had gone to bed, all the men in the si- from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house, okay, where these angels are inside, right? And it says, and they called to Lot. Okay, that was the guy who put them in there. Remember, Abraham's cousin. He said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them, right? Now, granted, I, I, there, there are biblical interpreters today who, who would say that this is not necessarily about the sin of homosexuality that got Sodom destroyed, but it's the sin of maybe rape or lack of hospitality, other things. I, I, I personally, in, as I say this, I, I think that that is a bit of a stretch. I, I think that the, the little book of Jude in our New Testament even says otherwise. Jude, chap, Jude, which only has one chapter in verse 7, says in a similar, and this is in the New Testament, so this is, you know, way later he says, looking back at what happened there, he says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve in as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So, I mean, even Jesus says, yeah, that, that was part of the issue. Now, there's, but, here's the thing. There's a similar story that happens in Judges 19 to a town called um, Gibeah. Um, and you, you can go look at that as well. But yet, even without these stories, right, where, that you can look at, that oftentimes people point and some people question about, I still believe, in my opinion, there's ample biblical evidence for us to recognize that the act of homosexuality in all its various forms is something that goes against God's design for sexual expression. In Leviticus 18.22, it simply just says, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That's detestable, right? Leviticus 20, verse 13, if a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable, and in there the punishment is death. Then there's Romans chapter 1, verse 24 to 27, which Paul is trying to talk about how the world has been chasing after its own thing, it's been denying God and, and God, even God's existence, it says, therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is to be forever praised. He says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones, and in the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for each other, and men committed shameful acts with other men and received them themselves the due penalty for their error. I, I just, I think that the Bible continues to tell us, and there's verses after verses of this that I think support the reality that this is not part of God's design for our sexual um, expression. 
One of the key ones in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, it says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, before I go on with this, how, how many wrongdoers are there in, in the room today? How many wrongdoers are there? Okay, look around. It's okay. We do this all the time here, okay, to, to remind ourselves that we are all a mess, okay, that we all have different ways that we, that we sin. And 1 Corinthians 6 is going to tell us a bunch of those ways that all of us sin, okay? It's not just calling out one. It's calling out, I, 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 it's calling all of us out. And, and, and he says this. He says, and, and, and then he says, these wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, which we'll define in, in just a minute, or idolaters or adulterers, or men who have sex with men, or, nor thieves, so if you've ever stolen anything, you know that you're in trouble, nor greedy, nor drunkards, or slanders, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, I was thinking a lot about this, and I was thinking about like the list of sins that are in this thing, and I was thinking, you know, for us who live in the Canal Valley, I was thinking, you know, the greed one? You know, there's like a whole sermon in that, right? And, and I think it's really important for us to understand that, you know, because it, it, it's important that we realize that all of us are in the same boat. It's important to recognize also, though, well, it goes on and it says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to verse 11, it says, and that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So no matter what your sin is, and we all have many, no matter what your sin is, there, there is grace and forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ for everybody. And this includes all of these sins. 1 Timothy 1, 10 to 11 kind of does the same thing. It tells us that the law is for people who, or the law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, or are slave traders, right? There's racial injustice parts. There's liars. How many liars do we have in the room? How many of you have told a lie? Yeah, okay, thanks, Steve. Yeah, right? Absolutely. But, and then listen to this one, promise breakers. Right? Yeah, 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 promise breakers. Or do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Now, notice in these last two verses um, that the homosexuality, it's in a list of other sins. Things like being drunk, greedy, lying, breaking a promise. We are all lost without the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and here's the thing. We need to be very, very careful in the church. You have to be very, very careful with the truth. Because we should never single out one sin. And, and then make that sin greater than all the others. And then use it to condemn other people because as we condemn and as we judge other people, we're pushing them away from the very thing they need the most, which is the grace of Jesus. And when they look at us and they say, hey, you're just singling this out and this is all you talk about and you're just condemning, 
then they, then they don't have the opportunity and we shut them down from even hearing us tell them about the wonderful grace of Jesus that can help us because we all are sinners who desperately need the grace of God. And I just want to say, if you're listening today, um, and maybe today you or someone that you love um, is working through um, homosexuality, same-sex attraction, all those things, which, you know, there's just tons of different words you could use. But, (coughs) excuse me, if you're here today or you're listening today, you've ever felt hated by Christians or felt like Christians just hold that thing up against everything else. I just want to say on behalf of the church, I'm sorry for, for that kind of treatment. That, that we shouldn't be in a place where we're just upholding like one sin and, and beating people up with that. I think we need to be very, very careful about that. And, and if you're here and you're working through that, you have loved ones that are working through that, that you're struggling with that yourself, then I just want to say, you know what, that I'm glad you're here because there's a God who created you, loves you, and who wants you to find his love, grace, forgiveness, and mercy and wants you to have life to the fullest. And this should be the place that people can find that. So, yes, sexuality is part of the list. But there's also other things that damage our, um, our sexuality. Um, there's this big word that gets used more than any in the Bible when it talks about the sins associated with sexuality. And it's just this term sexual immorality. In Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, uh, it, 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 Jesus says, it says, and then Jesus, he added, this is Jesus talking, he says, um, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil, dis- evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Right? Again, we can all raise our hands to some of those. All these vile things come from within and are what defile you. The word here for sexual immorality is a word in, in the Greek language that is called porneia, right? And, and you know what we've done with that word, right? Porneia. Pornography is, is really what, it, what it's all about. Um, it's where we get that word. It's, it's really in the Bible. It is an umbrella term that's used for any, that I believe, for any sexual activity outside of marriage. Any, any sexual activity outside of marriage is considered Um, sexual immorality for the writers of the New Testament. Notice that Jesus is not giving us a list of do's and don'ts only. He's saying these are not just behavioral issues. These are not just sexual issues. These are heart issues. And he's saying, hey, it's from within, out of the person's heart that these things come. And this is a place at which Jesus wants to do his work is he wants to get in and he wants to work in our heart. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, 28, Jesus says, you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery, right? And we just heard that a few minutes ago, one of the, one of the original commandments. And then he goes on, he says, but I tell you, 
that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, I like what Sam Alberry says. He says, to look lustfully on someone is to turn someone else's sexuality into a commodity, a consumable, something taken for one's own satisfaction. And that's where, you know, the whole idea, I mean, the New Testament talks more about lust than any other part of this sexuality, the problems with our sexuality. He's constantly doing that. And I truly believe that this is an area that especially in light of social media, in light of how much we have access to it, um, when we think about that, I mean, lust is an issue that I believe, you know, 99% of us struggle with, right? I I think maybe the rest might be blind. (laughs) I just think that's, you know, I just think that's where it's at. Now... When we think about all that in light of pornography, it's the ultimate become consumers of sexuality and how it destroys our ability to have intimacy and experience God's design for our sexuality. In our world today, 30% of men view pornography on a daily basis. Now, I, 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 don't, know, um, I don't know any men who don't struggle to some degree with lust. And, and what I'm, as I'm reading more and more, I'm finding that it's growing and growing uh, uh, pornography usage among women too, and I think it's a lot to do with social media. We all struggle with various forms of sexual brokenness. But the good news is that Jesus can provide healing for that. He wants to provide healing for that. And I think it's in the church that we come together and we work together to help each other as we battle that, as we, as we do the business of allowing God to create in us a new heart. And, and I think that is so important for us that we need to realize that, that all of us are struggling in the areas of sexuality. I, I can't tell you how, how many people that I've had conversations with who are just frustrated in, in all kinds of relationship, and, and really in, in marriage relationship, because sexuality is, is not what they're like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And I tell them, well, yeah, it's because the pictures that you have about what it's supposed to be, like you got the wrong cover on the box. And, and we, need to, we need to surrender that to God. And, and I'm talking about people on on. You know, both sides of things. And, and the people who are outside of faith, I mean, we, we can't look at them and condemn them for that. That's what they have. We need to bring them to Jesus. And then let Jesus give them a clear picture of what sexuality is really all about. Um, I, I think um, it, it, another area that I need to touch on real, real quickly is, is that, um, you know, the idea that... Um, you know, we talk a lot about marriage, and that's the place for sexuality. Um, and I do believe that, that immorality is any sexual activity outside of marriage. It could be, you know, pornography that causes lust. It could be um, premarital sex, extramarital sex, all, all those things. Anything that's outside of the confines of marriage 
is, I believe, sexual immorality. Now, so then what, what about people who are like, okay, well, I'm not married, what do I do? The, the Bible, I think, and, and I know people push back against this, but, but Jesus teaches on it, so I kind of have to go there, um, is he talks about what he, the gift okay, of celibacy. And nobody, nobody who has it you know, immediately thinks it's a gift, or at least very few people do. But back to the Matthew 19 passage, he says in Matthew 19, 10 and 12, he's talking to the disciples after, after he had talked about um, uh, uh, you know, God's created design for, for sex and marriage. And then in verses uh, 10, and, uh, 10 to 12, it says this, the disciples say to Jesus, they said, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. I'm, I'm like, what are, what are the disciples picking up on here? You know, they're listening to Jesus going like, okay, Jesus, I hear what you're saying, that God created a male and female for this reason, you know, they leave the mother and father, they're united with the wife, they become one flesh, right? And then he says, and then, uh, and then what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then he goes on in this teaching, and the disciples are like, wow, like this is a hard, hard teaching. So here's the thing. You know, we, we've kind of at times we've upheld marriages like that's just the easy way, right? This is just, you do that and it's all going to be good. I, I think that's, that's part of the cultural problem. We've just taught, oh, you just get married and it's just going to make all the problems go away. I, I would tell you this. If you want to get God's design for sexuality right, in marriage, you're actually going to have to work harder. And a lot of people aren't willing to put in the effort, right? And we're going to talk about that a lot next week, okay? But, so the disciples are like, wow, Jesus, maybe it's better not to marry. Now check out Jesus' reply. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, right, who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So Jesus is saying, hey, there are some that this is given as a gift. There are some who can choose that. Why? For the greater good of the kingdom of heaven. Right? Paul, Paul then reiterates this idea of celibacy in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 1, he says, now for the matters I wrote to you about, and here's how he starts out, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, he says, but since sexual immorality, remember all these things outside of marriage, right, is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband, and the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Um, don't worry, we're gonna go back, we're gonna go to there next week. The, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband, and in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. If you get this wrong, there's an open door for all kinds of abusiveness that we, that, that we need to make sure aren't happening, right? And then he goes on, he says, do not deprive each other except perhaps for mutual consent for a time so you may devote yourselves to prayer. 
Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. Now listen to what he says. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So we know that Paul was not married. He says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now when we, when we look at this idea of celibacy and singleness, the one thing I, I will say is this, right? Because again, in the church, I think we've just upheld marriage as this ultimate goal, this ultimate prize. If you do this, you know, it's all gonna be work. God will just bless and everything else. I am sorry that the church has caused, in many cases, single people to feel like they're second-class citizens, right? Or that somehow they're incomplete. Uh, For those of you who think celibacy is not a gift but a curse, realize that the one who we are following was single. And he was ultimately complete. We actually only know one of the apostles was married. I mean, these were all younger guys that were following Jesus, and there's only one of them that we know that was married, and that was Peter. And, and we don't know about some of the interior lives of the rest of them. There's certain details that we don't know. But as I was thinking about it, I'm thinking, you know, it would make sense that a lot of them would probably say, you know, I, I'm, I'm going out and I'm traveling all over the place and I'm spreading the gospel and I'm putting myself in harm's way, which by the way, they all died, right? Were martyred for their faith. And, and I'm believing that many of them were probably celibate. And, and I think that we need to acknowledge this as one of God's incredible options. God's design for sexuality is it is designed to be fulfilled, okay, when it comes to sex, the act of sex, sexual intercourse, is to be um, enjoyed and fulfilled in the context of marriage. Some will be called to a life of celibacy and will have more opportunity to serve in the kingdom of God. All of us struggle, I believe, to some degree with fallen sexual desires, whether those desires are for same-sex attraction, um, for the opposite sex, or if it's um, failure to understand God's picture for what sex and marriage really looks like. It is not unchristian, right? It is not a sin to experience same-sex attraction or other temptations. What makes the difference for us as followers of Jesus is not, is not, excuse me, is not that we ever express, experience temptations, but how we respond to them. And it's how we respond to those temptations that is so vital for for our understanding and where we need to put our lives in subservient to Jesus and follow his lead. What I hope we all understand is this. Your identity is never meant to be determined solely by your sex or your sexual orientation. Your, your identity is not even solely to be understood in terms of your marriage or your singleness. Your identity is ultimately 
to be found in Jesus Christ. When we find our identity in Jesus Christ, he will inform the rest of our lives. He will teach us how to handle the temptations that we have. And his word is very clear. But when we find our identity in Christ, when we make him Lord of our life, the great thing that we also get is his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. And those are things that we need to dole out in droves to a world that's desperately seeking for it. Our identity ultimately is found in Christ who gave his life for us so that we could be freed from sin and have a new heart. Because after all, it's in the heart that all of these things start. And Jesus wants to give each of us a new one. A new one so that we will understand the temptations and desires that we have. A new one so that we'll have a, good, a, a new heart towards others and the people around us, especially those who are struggling. And when we give our lives to Christ, he gives us a picture of how to put all of life's pieces together in a way that bless us and glorify him. Now over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna take a look at like, okay, how God's teaching then is to be applied to our lives. Next week we're gonna take a look at, okay, it, it, given all of this, what does that mean for me? What, what does that mean for me? What am I supposed to do with all of this? And then the following week, we're going to take a look at, okay, given this, how am I supposed to respond to a world that doesn't share my values or, or people who, you know, who want to argue about the subject or, or people who just don't know? How, how are we supposed to respond? But ultimately, our desire is to find our identity in Christ and follow him because he's the one who gave his life for us. And that's why every week we celebrate communion. And I know today it leaves you with tons and tons of questions. There's tons of things, and, and you know, like I said, if I, if I do this right, I know that, you know, I'm going gonna, gonna to get people upset on both sides of things, but my hope and desire is that we can continue the conversation, a conversation mostly geared about the reality that Jesus loves us and died for us. And, um, and so this morning, as we close our service, we, we want to take communion and what, what I want to say is I, I want to invite any of our elders or staff and their spouses to come forward. Um, I'm imagining with some of this topic, maybe there's some of you who are still, maybe there's some of you who are upset, confused. Uh, maybe there's some of you who, you know, are like, oh man, pastor, you need to do more of this or more of that, or hey, less of this or less of that or whatever. And, and, and maybe this morning um, in, in that emotion, um, you just need prayer. In a room this size, I'm going to imagine, too, that there's people that have experienced all kinds of damage um, and brokenness because of sexuality that has kind of gone wrong in your life. Maybe you're struggling with a temptation or a sin, and you just need forgiveness. You know, I, I, can't, I can't just forgive your sin. I can love you. But Jesus forgives your sin. And if that's you, then my prayer is that you'll come and, and allow Jesus to do just that. Because that's what this communion is really all about. It's about the reality that the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
while we were lost in our own sinfulness, whatever it may be, that Jesus came and sacrificed himself on our behalf. And so today, let's celebrate that together. And if you need prayers, we're closing in the last song. I want to encourage you to come forward. If, uh, if you want to continue on the discussion, hang around. We'll dive deeper, <laughs> um, and we'll see where that goes. But uh, this morning, we want to celebrate who Christ is and the love that we find in him. So uh, let's take the bread that represents Christ's broken body. And the cup that represents Jesus' shed blood. And as I'm praying, I'm going to invite our, uh, our elders and some of their spouses and church staff to come up. And if you need prayer, I just want to encourage you to come. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Father, I praise you this morning for the gift of sexuality. I thank you, Father, for your great design. Father, I, I pray, Father, that you will continue to teach us um, what that is all about and how, Father, we get a clearer picture of what that means for our lives. Father, my, my prayers for those in the room right now that, Father, um, are suffering in any way because something that, a uh, choice that they've made, something someone else has done to them, Father, whatever it is, I pray, Father, that, Lord God, that, that your Holy Spirit would bring healing and comfort, that, Father, they'll experience the, the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And, Father, help us be people who take the good news that you are a God who loves, who forgives, and who has a great design for us and take that to the rest of the world that continues to try to fumble around putting together pieces that they don't fully understand. God, help us. Help us to guide people. Help us to guide them to Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in the powerful name of our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.